Amen. Amen. Good evening. Good to see all of you this evening and to have all of you joining us from your homes tonight as well. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Signs and wonders. That's what I've entitled this chapter. Signs and wonders. Let's remember the context before we jump in. I've got a few things I want to share before we get into Exodus chapter 4. This chapter comes on the heels of God revealing himself to Moses and speaking to him out of a burning bush. You would think that would be enough, right? Then God gives him his name. What do I tell him your name is, God, when I go back? I am that I am. I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have seen, I have heard, I am understanding, I have come down to deliver my people out of Egypt. And Moses, I'm sending you as a deliverer. I want you to go. You're my man. You're my choice for this. And then he gives Moses at the end of chapter 3, three assignments. He says, I want you to go to the elders, I want you to go to the people, and then eventually I want you to go to Pharaoh. And Moses, here's exactly what's going to happen. Here's how they're going to respond to you. So God even gives him all of this information, right? And yet we come to chapter 4, and Moses still hasn't bought in. He still hasn't embraced what God wants him to do for him. Maybe we've been there in our life. I know I have at times. Where I'm reluctant to follow the call of God on my life for that particular season. And one of the things that we see Moses doing that maybe we can do as well that I wanted to point out is that Moses just keeps coming up with, what about this, God? What about this, God? Well, God, what about this? What about this? What if this? And God very patiently answers all of that, okay? Until Moses here tonight we're going to see just out and out just says no that's not something god can reason with is just out and out no if moses is saying well i've got this issue then at least god can do something with that right and what we learn in this chapter and even in the previous chapter and the chapters to come is that our god has everything covered All bases are covered. All contingencies have been considered. There's nothing that you and I, just like Moses, can bring up to God that God hasn't thought of already, that God hasn't planned for already, that God hasn't determined how it's going to go already. There's nothing you and I can throw up to God and say, like Moses, well, God, what about this? And God go, oh, you know what, Moses? I haven't thought of that yet. No. No. And there's nothing you and I are ever going to do to God in that same way. There's nothing we're going to say to God when we know that God is saying to us, this is what I want you to do, and we say, well, God, have you thought about this? Yeah. I thought about that before the foundation of the world. And I've got it all taken care of. I hope that will be an encouragement to all of us. That's one of the reasons I think that God calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's got the beginning and the end and everything in between all figured out and all covered. 
And if he is calling any of us, like he did Moses, to do something, then he's got every last detail figured out. The big details, the small details, and every detail in between. That's where we just have to trust and believe that God does. So notice as we begin chapter 4, Moses has another answer for God. You ever been around somebody that's always got an answer for something? That's Moses. No matter what God said and how God revealed and what God spoke, Moses always had a comeback. And here was his comeback now. Well, God, what if I go back and they do not believe me or pay attention to me and say the Lord has not appeared to you? Now, notice something very interesting. Moses isn't as concerned about whether Pharaoh will recognize his authority as much as Israel will recognize his authority. Because I think, again, that even goes back to his earlier failure when he was rejected, when he tried to deliver Israel in a very feeble way, running ahead of God, and he murdered that Egyptian and buried him in the sand and then had to run away from Egypt. Maybe that's still hanging there. And he's still wondering not so much about whether Pharaoh will recognize his authority, but will even Israel recognize my authority? Now, two things I want us to remember that, that we can apply to our life. When God is calling us to do something, you're either going to have one or the other. There's going to be times where God calls us to do something and it's not about the response. It's about just us following what God wants us to do, even if the response is negative or there is no response. And we've got to be okay with that at times. I mean, it could have been that God could have said, Moses, I want you to go back and I want you to do this regardless of whether they'll follow you or not. I mean, there were many times in the Bible where God called prophets to go and give a message to his people and he told them, they're not going to listen to you, but I want you to go anyway. And we know the story of Noah. I use it a lot at the Oasis where God commended Noah for his faith in building the ark and all of that, but not one person besides Noah and his family members got on that ark. Was Noah a failure in God's eyes? No. Noah's actually in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. Why? Because Noah did what God said regardless of the response. You and I are not responsible for others' response. We are simply responsible to do what God is asking us to do. So there's that. But then there's the other side, too. And that is there's also the times where God calls us to do something, and we've got to trust that he's working on all sides. He's not just working with us. He's already working with those who are going to join us and who he's going to bring beside us. And that's the case here. God was already preparing the Israelites to accept. I mean, God even said, they will believe you. Trust me. I'm working on their end too. You see. So it's going to be one or the other. Either God wants us to do something for him and we just can't worry about the response. We just have to worry about following God and obeying him and doing what God wants us to do regardless of the response. Or other times we've got to do what God's asking us to do knowing that God's already working with all the other people that's going to be involved. Even though we don't know that, but we've got to trust him in that. 
So the Lord gives Moses three signs. These were signs not only to bolster Mo- Noah, Mo- Noah, I got Noah on the brain, to bolster Moses and to support Moses. These were signs that eventually Moses would do in the presence of the Israelites to authenticate, to substantiate that he really was sent from God. The first one is verse 2. The Lord says, what's that in your hand? And Moses, obviously being a shepherd, said, well, it's just a shepherd's staff, just a rod, just a piece of wood. And the Lord said, throw it down on the ground, and he threw it down on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses ran from it. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I want to go ahead and follow through with this point at this point. God was trying to teach Moses that I can take something very ordinary, like a piece of wood, a shepherd's staff, and I can make it something extraordinary. And I can do something extraordinary with ordinary things. He wanted Moses to get that. Moses, yeah, you're just an ordinary man, an ordinary human being, but I can do extraordinary things with you and through you. I'm that kind of God. And that rod, that staff, if you give that to me, if you trust me, if you follow me, if you walk with me, that will no longer be known as Moses' rod. That will be known as the rod of God. And you see that over in verse 20. Notice, Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. And now Moses took the staff of God in his hand. It was no longer the staff of Moses. It was now the staff of God. And God even tells him in verse 17, hey, don't forget to take your staff because that's what you're going to do all the signs with, the staff. Why do I want to stop here for a moment and and sort of camp on this? Because the same principle is true in our life. God said to Moses, what do you have? Moses said, this is what I got. And he gave it to him, just like the five loaves and two fish. And look what God did with it. He did something miraculous. He turned into a snake. He took something ordinary and made it extraordinary. And God was going to use this staff of Moses to not only do these signs and wonders, but we know he used it to part the Red Sea. And I say all that to say that God is saying the same thing to you and I tonight. What's in your hand? Give it to me and let me show you what I can do with that. Because that may be just, you know, your house, but it can be the house of God. That may be your car, but if you turn it over to me, that can be the car of God. That may be your ability or your skill or your talent, but if you give it to me, that can be the talent of God and the skill of God and the gift of God. And I can do something supernatural through what you give me even though it might be very ordinary. Whatever resources you have in your hand, when we give them to the Lord, the Lord can do unbelievable things through them as we follow him and as we follow his lead and his direction, just as Moses was learning to do. By the way, I don't think it's any accident that the rod was turned into a snake. And then if you go back to verse 4, the Lord says to Moses, now put out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff again in his hand. That had to take a little courage for Moses, right? 
Why a snake? Well, for one reason was a snake was basically a god in Egypt. The cobra was something that was worshipped in Egypt. The cobra was actually on the headdress or the headpiece of the pharaoh. It was part of his power, if you will, what he wore. And the Egyptians worshipped the cobra and worshipped the snake. And I think by him turning it into the snake and then having Moses grab it, He was also saying, this is symbolic that I have the authority and power to overcome your fears, Moses, just like I have the authority and power to help all of us overcome our fear. Is it fearful to grab a snake? Especially notice, if you're going to grab a snake, especially a poisonous one, you don't grab it by the tail, you grab it right behind the neck at the head, right? He tells Moses to grab it by the tail. He's saying, Moses, I can help you overcome your fears because I know you're afraid. You're afraid to go back to Egypt. You're afraid to face Pharaoh. They are a great power, but I have a greater power and authority than them. And I'm going to subdue the power of Egypt symbolized by the snake. And God did this, notice verse 5, so that they may believe. The Israelites that you will do this sign in front of a little bit later on that they may believe, that this sign will confirm, it will, again, substantiate, it will authenticate, it will validate you as my spokesman. Because that's exactly what God says. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you and that you're my man. God does the same thing today. When God is moving and working through individuals, he will confirm, he will substantiate, he will authenticate their life and their ministry. Same God. And God was teaching Moses this. Trust me, Moses, walk with me, use what you have, and I'll show you what I can do through it and through you. Then, verse 6, the Lord also said to him, put your hand into your robe. He put his hand into his robe. When he brought it out there, his hand was leprous like snow. He said, now put your hand back into the robe. So he put his hand back into the robe. And when he brought it out from his robe, there it was, restored like the rest of his skin. God can heal and restore. But this sign is also, I think, symbolic of God's power and authority over our well-being. Over illness, over sickness, over plague. I mean... God later on was going to bring plagues to Egypt, but not to the Israelites. And God is saying, I'm the God over all of that. I have power and authority to heal, to restore, or to bring about these things. I am that God who's in control of all this. And so, Moses, you not only can put aside your fears, because I have power and authority that can overcome your fears, you got to put aside you know, are you going to be okay? Is your family going to be okay? Are you going to be protected? Are you going to be provided for? I am the God who has power and authority over your well-being. And as long as you walk in with me, you're going to be fine because I'm going to watch over you. Verse 8, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the former sign, then they may believe the latter sign. And if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to you, then 
Take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground, and the water you take out of the Nile will become blood on the dry ground, symbolic of God's power and authority over life and death because the Nile was life or death to the Egyptians. It literally was their life blood. And we know later on this was one of the plagues was God turning the Nile River into blood to cut off their water supply. You would think at this point, burning bush, I am that I am. I've seen, I've heard, I understand, I've come down. I'm telling you everything that's going to happen when you get there ahead of time. Oh, and here, I'm now going to turn this ordinary shepherd's staff into a snake and then turn it back to a staff again. And I'm going to take your hand and make it leprous, and then I'm going to restore it, right? Oh, and then you're going to take this water, and it's going to turn to blood. You'd think at this point, right, that maybe all of Moses' reservations and all of that would have been, okay, God. But I think now we're starting to see the heart of the matter. And that is, I think at this point, what we're realizing about Moses is maybe it's really not about these legitimate concerns and questions that Moses has. And maybe even about the fact that he's still sort of having that earlier failure sort of hanging on him. Now, I think at this point, with what he says next, he's just starting to bring up the fact that his heart really isn't in it. Because after all this, notice what he says. Lord, verse 10, I am not an eloquent man. Going back to that again, right? I, I don't speak well. I, I have a hard time coming up with the words. Now, isn't it interesting that Moses is saying to I am that I am not? And God wants to get all of us to that point. Yeah, God would say, Jeff, I know you're not, but I am. I am. You're just the instrument. I'm the God who can work through very ordinary things and do extraordinary things. I am, not you. So Moses says, I'm not eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord says to him, who created your mouth? Who gave this whole idea of speech? If I didn't think you could do this, Moses, I wouldn't have called you. I know you better than you know yourself. And by the way, he says, I will be, verse 12, with your mouth, and I will teach you what you must say. You just got to trust me. It isn't a question about your ability. It's all about your willingness to be available. Put your life in my hands and let me work through you supernaturally. Literally in the Hebrew, God is saying, who put the mouth into man? God knows every intricate detail about our speech. And God is the greatest speech therapist of any in history. If Moses needed a speech therapist, God was his man. God says, I will teach you, 
I will be with your mouth. So now go. Go. You know, I said this before, in choosing such an unwilling and doubting deliverer, God is showing himself to be the true savior of his people. It wasn't like he picked somebody and it was like, oh yeah, it's about time you notice me, God. Let me go back and take care of things. Uh, This guy did not want any parts of this at all. Eventually he went. And, And I hope that will be an encouragement to us too, again, about the patience of God here. God is being very patient with He's answering all his questions. He, again, let's remember something. God could have delivered his people from the Egyptians without any human being. God could have done it all by himself. So when God comes to Moses, just like God comes to us, it's not because God needs us. It's because God wants to honor us and give us the privilege of being able to serve him in some way. And you think about it. What if Moses would have just said, yeah, I'm not going. You and I would have never heard of Moses. And yet Moses has been honored throughout history. I mean, he's like a big-time star in the Bible and in our faith. That would have all been gone not because God needed him but because God wanted to honor him by using him and God wants to do the same thing with us it's not that he needs us but he wants to give us that privilege of partnering with him and showing ourselves what he can do if we just have the faith to make ourselves available But here's where it gets to, verse 13. After all this, Moses said, you know what, Lord? When it really comes down to it, I just don't want to go. Send someone else. In fact, in the Hebrew, he says, send anybody else but me. That's literally what Moses says to God. Anybody else, God, but me. I don't want to go. Moses is out now rejecting the call of God on his life. And notice God's reaction. It's the first time that God becomes angry. God becomes, as we say, hot and bothered with Moses. Because in the Hebrew, it literally means that God's face got red That's when you know that someone's a little upset, right? Their face gets red and his nostrils were flaring. God was breathing a little bit deeply here. And yet, even in that, notice how God is so accommodating to Moses. Instead of saying, fine, you're done. I'm done with you. No. I hope that will be an encouragement. God continues to like accommodate and work with this man. That's who God is. He is so patient, way more patient with us than we would ever be with others or ourselves at times. 
And yet here's God. He says, what about your brother Aaron? I know he can speak very well. In fact, he's coming to meet you because guess what? I'm God. I've arranged it. And when he sees you, he's going to be so joyful and glad in his heart. And you're to speak to him. And you will put the words in his mouth that I give to you. I'll be your mouth and you can relay it to him and he'll speak for you and I'll teach you both what you must do. So again, God is saying, I'll be with you guys. I'll do it. He will speak for you to the people and it will be as if he were your mouth, as if you were his God, meaning you get it from me, you transfer it to him and then he'll give it to the people. And by the way, don't forget your staff. God is saying to all of us, I'm not going to ever lead you where my power and my provision will not enable you. I've got you covered. There is nothing, Moses, that you can say, well, what about this that I haven't thought of way before you did? I've got this figured out. And I'm choosing you for a reason. I made your mouth. But if you don't want to go by yourself because I didn't even need to use you, I'll give you Aaron. Now, here's the thing. At this point, I want to talk a little bit about this partnership because they do become partners in this. But it wasn't God's first choice. God's first choice was, I just want to work with you and through you, Moses. But because Moses was unwilling, God accommodates and gives him Aaron, his brother, as a partner. Now, that's good in this sense. Partnerships are good, especially good ones. But let's face it, almost all partnerships complicate things, don't they? I mean, when you add anybody to the mix, there's going to be then challenges and complications because you're adding another person, right? And we know that even though Aaron was a blessing at times to Moses, we also know that there were times where Aaron was a burden to Moses and where that partnership complicated things and made things harder. But... Okay, Moses, if that's what you want, sort of like God saying, you want a king like all the other nations? There you go. There's your Saul. Live with him. Now, I say that, though, to say this. Obviously, God calls us to partnerships in our life. And partnerships can be a blessing. But I'll say one other thing about partnerships. Even though it is very rare that you may have a partnership in your life that is very uncomplicated and unchallenging, if you ever find a partner or partnership like that, oh, get down on your knees and thank God for it and for them because it is so rare and so unique to have a partnership that is so unchallenging and uncomplicated that you work so well with somebody else and you just never really have any issues. Because that's not the norm. Never. Usually you add somebody into the mix and there's going to be eventual challenges and complications in that partnership. 
All right, let's move on. So Moses, at this point, goes back, takes the sheep back. Because remember, they were on, he was on the mountain of God and he was still tending the sheep. So he takes the sheep back to his father-in-law. And basically, he doesn't tell his father-in-law everything, right? He doesn't say, hey, God's called me to be to deliver my people. No, he just says, oh, may I go and return to my relatives in Egypt, verse 18, and see if they're still alive? Now, Jethro does say, go in peace. And again, I think even this is an example that God is working in other people's hearts and lives in this. And in a sense, there's a flow there to what's going on. When you and I have to force something, that's not of God. When God is in something, there will be a flow to it. And you are beginning to see this flow now to all of this, right? That, that Jethro's not giving him any hard time about going back to Egypt. Jethro says, go. You know, again, when God is in something, he's going to be working on all sides. So Moses takes his wife, takes the staff of God, and then the Lord says this to Moses. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the wonders I put under your control all the displays of my power as a sign in your hand. And yes, as we've been sung about tonight, God gave him that authority, that power. He delegated that authority and power to Moses. And he says to Moses, don't just do all, some of the signs and wonders. I want you to do all the ones that I've told you about. But notice, God says, but I will harden or make rigid his heart and he will not let the people go. Now, we could spend a whole night on this, right? I'll just say this briefly. I'm getting a little ahead, obviously, in the story, but I, I'm saying it here for this point. Yes, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but only after Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God. In a sense, God was confirming Pharaoh's obstinacy in his heart. And the reason I say that is if you read the story of the Exodus, you will find that it never says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart through the first five plagues that he brings to Egypt. It is only after the first five plagues when it keeps saying that Pharaoh hardens his heart that finally in the sixth plague is when the Bible says, then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He was just confirming what was already there. But he's letting Moses know this is what's going to happen. But you must say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord is saying. Israel is my son, my firstborn. They're mine. Let my son go that he may serve or worship me. Since you have refused to let him go, I will surely kill your son, your firstborn. And we know that to be true. By the way, I want to point this out. God here is even reminding in the language I created Israel to have a special relationship with me and to have an intimate, close relationship with me. That's why God says, Israel is my son. Close, family, right? God's desire has always been that. God doesn't create us as human beings to have a distant relationship with him or have no relationship with him. That's not why God brought us about. God brought us here so that we could have an eternal, close, intimate relationship with our God and creator. 
It's always been the case. And he's pointing that out here to Moses about Israel. Then we have this strange thing that happens. It's sort of this random thing that just is recorded in the Bible out of the blue, right? Moses gets his family. They're heading to Egypt. And all of a sudden it says in verse 24, oh, by the way, the Lord was going to kill him. <laughs> now you're thinking to yourself, right? There's so many different things happening here. I realize we don't get everything that's going on here, right? Because you're probably thinking the same thing I am. Like, well, God, why did you call him to go back if you were going to kill him later on? I don't, you know, we don't get every little detail. God gives us just what we need, again, to grow in our relationship with him and to grow in our understanding of him. So what's going on here? And once again, a woman jumps in sort of to be the hero here because what we find out is that Moses hasn't circumcised his son, which was something that God clearly expected and commanded a long time ago, right? And so she gets upset and, you know, oh, you're, you know, a bridegroom of blood, and she circumcises the son, and obviously she takes then the sons back because they're in no they're in no shape to do any more traveling. That's why it, later on it says that then she goes back to her father Jethro and they come back down to Egypt later on. So from this point on, Moses goes by himself. His family goes back to Midian to Jethro. Why is this recorded here and why is God going to kill the guy that he's just called to go? Because a great principle is taught here. And that is that if you and I can't be faithful in lesser things that God has already said he wants us to do, then he cannot trust us, nor are we ready to handle greater things. If I can't manage my home, God would be saying to Moses, then you can't manage my people. If you are not faithful in the little things, then I can't give you more. I can't have you go down to Egypt and be the leader of my people when you're not even leading your home. You're not even doing as the father and as the spiritual leader what I ask you to do. You got to start there. You see. Then you're ready for more. That's the way God always works. He wants us to see, are we being responsible for the things he's already placed into our hands? And if we are, then he'll always give us more. But he wants us to see first, teaching us responsibility, that I've got to show him I can handle what I've already got and that I'm doing that well. And then he'll give me greater opportunity and in charge of greater things. Then verse 27 the Lord says to Aaron, go to the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God. They greeted him with a kiss. And by the way, don't forget too, they were brothers. They were brothers. So it was not just even like a partnership with like even friends. I mean, these two guys were blood brothers of each other. And Aaron was going to be the leader of the priesthood one day over Israel. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and brought together all the Israelite elders. And again, I have sort of in brackets 
the names Moses and Aaron because, again, it's important that we point out these partnerships, you know, Paul and Timothy and Paul and Barnabas and Aquila and Priscilla and, you know, Jonathan and David and, you know, Jesus sent out his disciples. How many? Two by two. I mean, partnerships are huge with God. And again, thank God for your partners, you see. Aaron spoke all the words, verse 30, that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Moses then did the signs in the sight of the people that God asked him to do. And guess what? The people believed. These signs substantiated, authenticated, validated Moses as the person that God sent to deliver his people. But here's what I want to end with. When they heard, moved by what they heard, that the Lord had attended to the Israelites and that they had seen their affliction, they bowed down close to the ground. That's worship. That's worship. That's where this chapter ends, with the people of God worshiping their God. And you know why? Go back to the word attended. The word means to visit in order to help. I love that. Do you know that's what God does all the time? He visits his people in order to help. As I shared at the beginning, Psalm 121, I look up to the hills. Well, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. God is a strong refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is our ultimate helper. And he is willing and able to visit us at any time in order to help us. We should worship a God like that continually, enthusiastically. And that's what they did. They bowed down and worshiped their God. Worship should be our grateful response to God's grace and goodness in our life. And we see God's grace and goodness in this chapter, even again, in the gentle way, in the loving way, in the patient way, in the merciful way, he worked with this man, Moses, a man that you and I consider to be a hero of our faith. And yet when we look sort of underneath it all, we see a man that really didn't want to go and was trying to do everything he could to get out of going to Egypt and being the deliverer. And yet God continued to work with him. God could have said, you know what? My people are still suffering. I'm done with you. I'm going to rescue them. No, he continued to work with them just as he did Jonah and just as he did other people in the Bible. And I hope that you know God still is that way with you and I. He never gives up on us. And he will always very patiently and lovingly and graciously work with us because he he values us as a person. It's not as, as much about accomplishing his purposes and his ministries and all that and the tasks that he has for us as much as it is us as a person. And that's why God continued to work with Moses. What a God he is. What a God he is. A God who is worthy of our worship. And so speaking of worship, I want to say in closing tonight that next Wednesday... We are having a night of worship here at the Oasis under the leadership of our worship leader, Nicole. And I hope that you will make plans 
to be here next week, and then we will pick back up our study of Exodus the following Wednesday night. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for, Lord, just again showing us who you are. Lord, not only in the way you dealt with Moses, but, Lord, the way you deal with all of us. And, Lord, the fact that you give us the honor and the privilege and the opportunity to be used by the God of the universe. To see, Lord, that you can do extraordinary things through very ordinary people. And that you can take the things that we have that are very ordinary maybe to us, and yet you can do extraordinary, supernatural miracles through all of it, God, if we just give it into your hands. Lord, each of us have things in our hands tonight, just like Moses had his shepherd's staff, that we can give to you. And Lord, it can become whatever we give you, that thing of God. It's no longer Jeff's. It's God's thing. And God can use it for his glory. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that all of us would be encouraged that whatever's in our hand, we just give it to you, God, and that we trust and believe in you, that you are a God that can still do supernatural things, can still do extraordinary things, can still do miracles, Lord, even in our day, if we just believe and trust in you. God, may we be a people also that worships you, that responds to your grace and goodness through worship, through our not only our singing and our praising, but Lord, even in our humble submission and surrender to you, in our physical response to you as well. So Lord, go with us tonight, and Lord, be with us through the rest of this week. Watch over us and bring us back on Sunday that we might come together to worship you as your people and to once again get into your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless. We'll see you next week.